are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our occupational and academic backgrounds in criminology and medicine to tell you crime stories each week. I'm Chloe, here with Melina to bring you more true crime. But first, I wanted to circle back to last week's episode, where we talked about the disappearance of Maine family, well, Maine estranged family, which consisted of 38-year-old Nicholas Hansen, 28-year-old Jill Sidebotham, and their daughter, 2-year-old Lydia Hansen, who were last seen at a Walmart in Mexico, Maine. They were on a camping trip and were overdue to return. We were pretty sure that something nefarious had happened based on a number of factors, but shortly after the release of our episode on their case last week, the whole family was, according to law enforcement, determined to be safe and voluntarily missing. Apparently, the whole family was seen by law enforcement on Zoom, and Nicholas Hansen has spoken out on numerous media sources. Jill was engaged to be married at the time of her disappearance. Her fiancé has commented on social media that he still doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't think Jill would have done this voluntarily, and he is confused as to why Nick is doing all of the talking. So we are eager to learn more about this story. Hopefully everything is okay. It was just a huge surprise because I don't think that's where anyone thought this was going, but of course where everyone hoped it was going. This week, we are telling you the story of the Kloss family abduction and murder, which happened in Barron, Wisconsin. On October 15th, 2018, at almost 1 a.m., a call was received by the Barron County Sheriff's Department. It was a 911 call from a woman who was screaming, and there was clear turmoil and just chaos in the background, even though the call only lasted about three seconds. It was clear that there was an emergency. They traced the call to 1268 13 and a half Avenue on Route 8. Police pretty much immediately sped towards that residence because of the distress call. And on their way there, they drove past an older model maroon sedan that yielded out of their way as they sped past with their lights on and sirens. Little did the police know that they just drove by an extremely dangerous predator. When police arrived, the house was quiet. The house ended up belonging to the Kloss family. As they made their way into the residence, they saw that the front door was heavily damaged, as if somebody had used force and even a gun to force open the front door. Upon opening the door, they were immediately face-to-face with the dead body of James Kloss. His feet were by the front door, and he was lying on his back with obvious head trauma, likely from a gunshot wound. As police searched the residence for survivors and possibly even the perpetrator that could be hiding, they saw a shower curtain halfway into the hallway from the bathroom. When they walked in, they discovered the body of Denise Kloss, who was lying in the bathtub. She had been shot in the head. 
the drawers in the bathroom were all opened and the bathroom door was also forced open. So that showed the police that Denise was hiding in there and attempted to barricade the door and likely called 911 while she was hiding. And perhaps as the perpetrator broke into the bathroom and killed her. The only survivor in the house was the family's little dog who was just petrified. They soon realized that James and Denise had a 13-year-old daughter who I'm going to refer to as JC. She was nowhere to be found. So soon this became a whole lot worse than it already looked. Bloody drag marks were by the front door near James's body, as well as tread marks from tactile style boots. It was clear that the perpetrator had murdered the parents and then stolen their 13-year-old daughter, JC. This assault had to have happened within minutes, maybe even two minutes or less, because the police got there within minutes of that call. And it could be assumed that Denise was killed shortly after the call disconnected when she called 911. The police literally drove by the kidnapper. He literally narrowly got away. About three months later, on January 10th, 2019, in a town called Gordon, Wisconsin, which was over an hour away from Barron, Wisconsin, where JC was taken from, a woman walking her dog saw a skinny, kind of dirty-looking girl with matted hair and wearing shoes that were way too big for her walking around on the icy street, and she approached the woman for help, identifying herself by name, identifying the perpetrator, her captor by name, Jake Patterson, and expressed fear that he was going to come back. She quickly took action and led her into the home of a neighbor's house that was slightly farther away from the Patterson home. They kept her safe, called the police, and the police arrived and immediately removed JC from the scene and took her to the hospital to be examined. JC was reunited with her family dog and now lives with family members. JC was right to be nervous about being caught escaping from Jake's house because he actually shortly after this was seen driving around, sort of circling around the street, apparently looking for JC. He instead was met by a police officer. At the traffic stop, he immediately said, I did it. He ended up giving a pretty detailed confession to the police. He had planned this crime very, very meticulously. Patterson was only 21 years old, and he had barely even had much experience in life. He wasn't a particularly good student. He didn't really particularly have friends or was much of a joiner even. He was kind of just suspended through life with no real goals, kind of going from job to job. He had actually briefly worked at JC's parents' business, but quickly got tired of it and just quit like the next day, if not the same day. He said one day when he was driving to work, he was behind a school bus and he drove by the Kloss home and saw JC. And he said that he knew at that moment that this was the girl he was going to take. In the documents that are available, it doesn't really detail exactly what happened to JC during her captivity. But the fact that he wanted to take a 13-year-old girl it implies that he had nefarious intent. He wanted a little girl for himself. He was willing to do absolutely anything, no matter the cost, in order to get her. He had actually planned on doing this and sort of aborted the plan twice because he got cold feet. One time it was because there was lights on in the house. And then for another reason, I'm not sure why he didn't do it. But on the third attempt, he did it and effectively ruined JC's life as she knew it. 
he took JC to his family cabin in Gordon, where he was staying. His parents sort of just put him up in there. I don't know if they expected him to work, but he didn't. His family visited every Saturday during which JC was forced to hide underneath Patterson's bed. He would put weights in tote bags around the bed so he would know if she tried to leave or escape. He would put music on so his family wouldn't hear if JC called out for help. Later on, they said they had absolutely no idea and they were horrified. What's interesting is that Patterson's brother is actually a sex offender. So I kind of can't help but wonder what the heck happened to those boys when they were little to make them both have these sort of pedophilic tendencies. Both JC and Patterson gave accounts to police about what happened from their perspective. JC was woken up by her dog barking and she saw lights from a car going towards the house. She then quickly woke up her parents and her dad went to the front door. I guess he thought that whoever was there was a cop because he had asked to see a badge, according to Patterson. JC and her mom, Denise, hid together in the bathroom and barricaded the door. JC said that when she heard the gunshot, that she knew that her father was dead. She said that Patterson then forced his way into the bathroom, grabbed the phone out of her mom's hand, and tried to get the mom to duct tape JC's mouth and ankles. When she was having trouble, Patterson put down the gun at the sink and did it himself. He then lifted JC out of the tub, picked up the gun, pointed it at the back of Denise's head, and pulled the trigger. JC presumably saw this entire thing happen, and then she was drug out past the body of her father as well. So this is just an unbelievably traumatic, violent, horribly scarring event that she's been through. She was put in the trunk of Patterson's car, and she thought that she was in the car for about two hours. By the time Patterson got her out of the car, she had urinated herself out of panic, I assume. He then made her wear his sister's old pajamas, and he put JC's clothes in a bag. She didn't see what he did with those clothes. It's not known where they were, but he probably threw them away. It's unclear if Patterson molested or sexually assaulted JC, but it's in my opinion, it's highly likely. I think the most that he admitted to was having her sleep in the bed with him, which, ew. And he also apparently beat her, like hit her a few times with a tool to clean blinds, like window blinds, when she tried to escape one other time. Sometimes Patterson would leave the house up to 12 hours at a time, and she would have to stay under the bed and not move. She was forced to hold it in if she had to go to the bathroom. No food, no water. What prevented her from trying to escape was the punishment and fear that she would get as a result. It seemed like he only hit her that one time, but he would also scream at her and yell at her and basically just frighten her into submission. Patterson confessed to wearing all black, including a mask to cover his face, tactical style boots, and he had shaved his face and head and showered before arriving at the Kloss house in order to prevent excreting DNA. Patterson took his father's 12-gauge shotgun and had his mission. He said he picked this gun because he felt that it would inflict the most damage on a person. Patterson said that he was absolutely determined that he was going to take JC that night and nothing was going to stop him. So that's why he killed James and Denise Kloss. He could not leave any eyewitnesses behind, he said. When asked what he would have done if he was pulled over by the police, 
Patterson said that he probably would have shot at them. I don't really believe that because he just like immediately surrendered when the police stopped him after JC escaped. So I really don't know if he would have done that. He probably would have been scared because he was outnumbered. But at the same time, he literally just committed a double homicide and a kidnapping of a minor and probably was just on this insane adrenaline rush. And I can't even imagine how excited and powerful he felt when the police just drove right past him with this little girl in the trunk of his car. Later on, Patterson would claim that he, quote, loved JC and that he was sorry. To me, it sort of feels like he had this fantasy of like rescuing her from these bad people or something like that, or if that's what he told himself, because it was like a tactical mission. He was in there and out of there in less than five minutes. He eliminated the eyewitnesses and took the target. So it's like, wow, it sounds like you really love her because you literally ruined her life, stole her and killed her parents in front of her. So if that's what he thinks love is, and I don't really know what to say. Jake Patterson has to be a registered sex offender for the rest of his life, and he is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. He decided to spare JC the trauma of a trial, so he pled guilty. He probably thinks that he's such a stand-up guy for doing that, but (sighs) the whole thing is just sickening. I remember when it happened and people were speculating that perhaps JC met a guy online and that she had them kill her parents and run away with him and I'm just like no like come on like this girl she's like she looks like a young 13 and even so it doesn't I know it doesn't matter like how young she looked like she was 13 and sometimes 13 year old girls go on the internet and do things they're not supposed to do it did not ring true to me at all they were apparently such a close family she was an only child and like a later in life baby for her parents and I just knew that she couldn't have been involved and it was obvious that the motive for the murders was to have her. I really hope that she'll be okay. I think that she's going to have a wonderful life with every opportunity ahead of her, while the monster who did this to her will never see the light of day. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Melina, when I had my daughter, I was 24 years old. So when I started even thinking about having kids, I was 23 years old. I was on birth control since I was 16. I got off of it for a week and my daughter Ava was conceived. Easy peasy. That's the case when you're 23. Now I'm about to be 28 years old. I might want more kids someday. And it turns out that your fertility situation can change rapidly the closer you get to 30 and then even more so after you turn 30. And once you turn 35, your pregnancy is considered a geriatric pregnancy. These are all things that I never had to think about at age 23, but now I need to consider now at 28. This is where amazing companies like Modern Fertility come in. They are able from just a few drops of blood to tell you your fertility situation to help you prepare for your future and your family. The traditional guidance with fertility has been just wait and see, but now we have tools to help us plan for and track everything in our lives, wellness, finances, careers, school. So why is fertility still a wait and see? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label, and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. This helps you get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. 
The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also download the results to review with your doctor for the next steps. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can put those dollars toward Modern Fertility. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $30 off for the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash tctwins30. That means your test will cost $169 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $30 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash tctwins30. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash tctwins30 for $30 off your fertility test. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Jake Patterson was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole, plus an additional 40 years for the kidnapping of JC. He spoke to the media during his early time in jail and answered some questions that had been sent to him. He apologized for what he had done. He said that he was acting on impulse. He also wrote a heart around the name of JC written out reflecting that perhaps he still had a obsession with JC. Describing JC's time in captivity, Patterson described it almost as shacking up. He said, we were just like watching TV, playing board games, talking about stuff. We cooked a lot. Everything we made was homemade, you know. So he was almost imitating a husband and wife relationship dynamic with JC And sometimes what sex offenders do is they believe that possessing their victim, sexually assaulting their victim, which again, we're not positive he did, but all indications seem to reflect that, especially if he's doing this husband and wife role play with her. They believe that over time, their victim will reciprocate their feelings and will fall in love with them and that inflicting the violence and the assault upon their victim will eventually lead to them falling in love, which is clearly never going to happen. But what I believe Jake Patterson was operating under in his sexual motivations. I also think that Jake Patterson is what they in criminology would call the criminal psychopath. The underlying characteristics of a psychopath is emotional callousness and inability to empathize with others. They demonstrate a reckless disregard for the rights and need of others, which manifests in a number of criminal acts, including violent and property crimes. Their inability to emotionally relate to others connects to their lack of conscience or remorse for their actions. Remorse for wrongdoing is a strong deterrent from engaging in criminal acts, which psychopaths simply do not experience. The criminal psychopath, its own category, are more violent and cruel towards their victims than other criminals, and they often get gratification from the suffering of others. They have low impulse control, like Jake had told that reporter, and they're thrill seekers due to low internal stimulation. They also have a tendency for deception. They strive to dominate and manipulate others and do not feel remorseful for doing so. 
They only care about themselves, their own goals and desires. They can destroy property, violate, and harm others without any reservation. And these are all things that Jake Patterson did when he massacred the Kloss family. JC wrote a very powerful victim impact statement, which was read to the court by her victim's advocate. She wrote the following. Last October, Jake Patterson took a lot of things that I love away from me. It makes me the most sad that he took away my mom and dad. I love them very much, and they love me very much. They did all they could to make me happy and protect me. He took them away from me forever. I felt safe in my home, and I loved my room and all of my belongings. He took all of that too. I don't even want to see my home or my stuff because of the memory of that night. My parents and my home are the most important things in my life. He took them away from me in a way that will always leave me with a horrifying memory. I have to have an alarm in the house now just so I can sleep. I used to love to go out with my friends. I loved to go to school. I loved to do dance. He took all of those things away from me too. It's too hard for me to go out in public. I get scared and I get anxious. There are ordinary things that anyone like me should be able to do, but I can't because he took them away from me. There are some things that Jake Patterson can never take away from me. He can't take my freedom. He thought he could own me, and he was wrong. I'm smarter. I watched his routine, and I took back my freedom. I will always have my freedom, and he will not. Jake Patterson can never take away my courage. He thought he could control me, and he couldn't. I feel like what he did is what a coward would do. I was brave, and he was not. He can never take away my spirit. He thought he could make me like him, but he was wrong. 